Welcome to Sobriety Unleashed, the podcast that helps you master sobriety and change your life. I'm Simon. And I'm Ellen. And today we're talking a little bit about dealing with emotions in sobriety, in early sobriety and onwards in your sobriety journey. Uh, So Simon, I would like to ask you, how are you doing? How's your week been? It's been a rather interesting week, actually, Ellen. I went away to uh, something called the Mankind Project, which is an emotional sort of healing retreat for men. I call it a retreat. It wasn't like a five-star spa, though. We were actually deprived of a, a lot of things, including sleep, food, knowing what the time was, and at times our clothes. But it was really, really powerful. There was a lot of emotional healing and it was a privilege to witness other men facing into some of the things that have held them back in in the past, talking about addictions, talking about the impact their parents had on them and certain aspects of their childhood and actually seeing them come out the other side. I felt like I burst a massive emotional bubble that had been living within me. I did some work around the anger that I held towards my absent father, which I'd not actually worked on through therapy. And it really kind of erupted to the surface. I think it was more rage than anything that came out. And I guess I don't want to give the game away if anyone wants to attend the Mankind Project, but it was something like an SAS survival boot camp meets The Work, which is the documentary on Amazon about trauma healing, which I know you've watched, haven't you, Ellen? Yeah, that is a fantastic, fantastic documentary. It is so kind of enlightening and as to people dealing with their emotions. Can I ask you, is this something that you would have gone on back in your drinking days? No, I actually talked to somebody about this. I definitely wouldn't. I don't think I would have been equipped to have dealt with it. And I would have come back with more questions than answers. It was pretty extreme at points. And I think you need to be at a certain point in your life and reasonably emotionally in tune with yourself. There were some people there who hadn't done a great deal of work on themselves. And I mean, work in the context of either therapy or reading self-help books, uh, looking inwards. And I felt like some of them might have gone away with more questions than answers and maybe a sense of, well, what now? I've just healed this piece of trauma or emotional neglect from my past. Where do I take that? What do I do with it? And I could see some people had realizations about themselves, particularly about kind of ego driven behaviors and realizing that they need to make some changes in their life, which maybe they hadn't bargained for and now need to do something about. But they do give ongoing support. There's weekly Zoom calls afterwards. So it's not like they just leave people hanging. But no, I wouldn't. Have you ever done any sort of trauma healing work or anything like I that? I haven't but you, you say that looking inwards and I think that's the really interesting thing I think all the time that I was drinking it never really even occurred to me to start looking inwards I was looking at myself from a health point of view you know working out well doing yoga working uh, looking at my nutrition things like that but self-development never really kind of was on my radar but since I stopped drinking looking inwards is definitely what I'm doing and taking responsibility for decisions that I've made that have brought me to places now um and emotionally when I used alcohol I was numbing all of those emotions but good and bad um and it wasn't until I stopped drinking that I realized I had never grieved for my father I lost my father when I was 19 and I did what the rest of the family did and what my friends did I thought I was all grown up at 19 and kind of drank my way through it for 20 years you know um and then 
as I started to give up alcohol and I looked around me and I was approaching 40 and I realized that most people in their 40s still have their parents. And it occurred to me, I was still a baby when I lost my dad and I had really never dealt with that. Um, so it was a really uncomfortable place to be. Um, and I'm going through stuff at the moment that my husband has mental health problems and it is really difficult. It's difficult for him, but as a family as well, it's really, really difficult to deal with. But I love the fact that I kind of can look inwards and I can't control life, but I can control my reaction to it. Um, I deal a lot with my friend who's a mindfulness coach and she kind of isn't a therapist, but she definitely helps me offload. Um, and I talk through things with her. I'm really being self-aware about how I'm reacting to things around me. Yeah, that, and it's so important to have that support network and have people you can turn to. There's a difference between needing someone and having somebody there to support you, to lean on. Um, I think I, I used to have my sense of self-worth very much wrapped up in my wife. So however she reacted dictated my mood. And I've managed to extract myself from that now. And yes, she is supportive and she's there when I need her, but she's no longer the puppet master of my emotions, which was my fault. It became a codependent relationship. And I'm very, very aware of that. So a lot of what you're talking about there totally resonates with my own journey too. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? But taking responsibility, I think that really is the thing that um, before I was very much kind of blaming everybody else and this isn't my fault, but actually, okay, let's take responsibility. These are decisions that I've made that have led to this place that I, I numbed everything. I wasn't aware of myself. Now there is just more awareness in everything. Okay, I can control this. I can control what am I feeling? I can step back and be really curious about what it is that I'm feeling in that moment. I know this week I have been talking to lots of people and I've been feeling really overwhelmed. Um, I don't know if it's the time of the year. Well, it's the time of the year, isn't it? With Christmas coming up, the new COVID rules in the UK and Europe are just, it's crap. It feels like we're going back to square one. Um, and I know that I've taken too much on, but it comes out in me that I become really cross and angry and I'm like, I'm failing. I am a failure. Therefore, I want everyone around me to feel as crap as I feel. So I'll be really angry. So I've taken a real step back this week and said, no, I know that this is me feeling overwhelmed. What can I do to stop that? I don't know if you feel the same way with overwhelm at the moment. Yeah. And we've got I mean, I've got my new book coming out this week. So there's a lot of stuff going on around that, which is how to heal your inner child, which is actually about very appropriate. What we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we've got Christmas and then there's the live event on the 2nd of January that we're kind of frantically making sure everything's sorted and ready. Yeah, you've so, got so much on. Yeah, absolutely. And just going back to what you said about taking responsibility, though, it would be very easy to project the stress, the maybe the anger at times or the frustration that I feel onto other people. But I've become super aware of when I do that. And every time I find myself either wanting to project or actually doing it, I just take a moment and check into myself and ask, well, what's going on here? Why am I? feeling a need to project because when we do that it's just a mirror right back into ourselves to around something that's going on and we've just not seen it it's there lurking in our shadow there there were two books actually that 
when you were talking really came to mind that I read that really helped me. One is called Extreme Ownership, which is all about taking responsibility for yourself. And the other one, which people have probably heard me talk about, is Radical Honesty, which is another book. And in fact, you probably don't even need to read the books. They're just ways of being radically honest and taking extreme ownership for yourself and not relying on other people to be in charge of your emotions and moods. Yeah, it's funny because this week has been, or the last the last few months, to be honest, the whole year has been really, really trying, really trying. And I keep on going, how much can be thrown at me? But on Saturday morning, I, after a week of really kind of delving into what it was that I was feeling, putting into places things that I could do to protect my well-being and, okay, there's overwhelm, I need to put some boundaries in place, I need to look at my list and is it really important? Does this really matter at this time of year? No. Um, looking at what I really wanted to focus on. On the weekend, I put on some music and we were cooking. I was cooking pancakes for the kids and I was laughing and I was singing. And my daughter went, how are you so happy all the time? And I was like, I choose to be like there is shit going on, but I can choose how I react to it. And I don't want to be when I'm angry. That's not who I am at my core. That's not the person that I want to be. It's not the mum I want to be. So I am choosing to make sure that I put these things in place. And it it takes some work, doesn't it? It takes some practice. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And when Melissa Urban came on the podcast, she actually talked about how being in a bad mood or being sad or angry is can also can almost become addictive. And we can end up just being addicted to that behavior. We end up knowing no other way and we create a neural pathway of just constantly being in a bad mood. And I, I spent a lot of time in that place. There are times when I still sort of find myself back there but it's a lot easier to notice it and pull myself out of it. And I guess the, the key thing here in the context of alcohol or any addictive behavior is that when you're caught in the grip of addiction, I don't think you're able to see any of this stuff. So these mood swings, anger, sadness, whatever, it just comes up. We don't really look at it, think about it. We just dive deeper into the addiction for me yeah. it was alcohol same with you just yeah. to, like you said numb it out and then once we remove that we create space within ourselves to be able to actually take a look at it and funny enough I had an email from somebody this morning who said she was three four weeks alcohol free she felt great at the beginning but now she's feeling a lot of negative emotion and wanted to know what was going on and I think that's quite common because we're starting to feel those feelings, both good and bad, that we've been running away from. And this gives us the opportunity and the space to actually start ripping stuff up at the roots. Yeah. And you talk about the neural pathways. I mean, it is simple for the brain to just keep on going back to alcohol. The brain is like, oh, I'm hungry. I'm angry. I'm stressed. Um, I'm lonely. I'm all I'm my self-control is out the window. What do I need? We turn to alcohol. And as far as the brain is concerned, like dopamine hit is done. I'm fine. I'm not stressed anymore. I'm not feeling sad anymore. I'm not feeling anything anymore. It, it's job done for the brain. But it doesn't take into account everything that comes along with that alcohol. So when we take that away, yet so many people that I speak to are like, I'm just Lots of people describe it as slipping into a depression, but I really don't think it is. I think it's just that we're feeling our feelings for the first time. Uh, and that's a really uncomfortable place to be. But it does pass, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely passes. And 
And it's important to know that, that yeah, that's not a fixed state that's going to stick around forever, but it can be uncomfortable. And I think that there's a couple of things that can be going on. There's emotional re-regulation, which just happens after we quit drinking. That happens for most people. And our emotions can just be up and down while we're rebalancing. But equally, it can expose us to the feelings that we've been running away from. And I think for many people, that's what this is all about. And there can also be that, you mentioned grief earlier, that grieving period. I I went through all the stages of grief when I quit drinking. And Me too. I, there were a couple of them, particularly the depression stage, which is the stage before acceptance, where I knew I was there and I had acknowledged that I was there and I knew it was a case of just kind of waiting it out, paying attention, journaling, noticing what was coming up before I gently shifted into a stage of, I've, I've got to accept this, this is the way things are going to be and I need to move forward. But it's challenging, you know, and it, it starts off, I can't, I can't remember the order, anger, no, denial, anger. Um, denial, anger, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. Okay. Yeah. Um, And it happens, I think, with most addictive behaviours. Some people, I think, might find that they don't go through all the stages or they they just come into it at a further stage down the line. But I think for nearly everybody, there is some of that grieving process to go through. But knowing this in advance and understanding that actually that happens to most people, hopefully can just make make you see that it's part of the journey and we need to go through that short-term pain for the long-term bliss that's on the other side absolutely it does it does pass and just being curious about it as you say journaling is the most powerful thing I think you can do it stepping back taking a breath um someone I work with always says to me don't go all Dalai Lama on me don't tell me just to breathe but it's such a powerful thing just take a step back take a moment breathe what is it that I am actually feeling right now um and yeah explore it why am I feeling like this what can I do how can I retrain my brain to reach for something else Uh, I know for me like exercise if I am feeling really really overwhelmed with things and I I can't I can't calm down getting out of the house and walking for me is clearing my head I get like the double whammy of being outside and I get the exercise so I get all those good endorphins going you have turned to exercise in the early days didn't you yeah and to be honest I still do I go to a fitness boot camp a couple of times a week because I know that it's a great source of dopamine for me and this journey is about finding those new sources of endorphins and dopamine to give us that hit that we used to get from wine well for me from wine in a bottle so but what happens is alcohol takes away the joy that exists within those everyday activities so at the start we stop drinking, we think nothing's going to give me that same hit like alcohol. So you might go out for a run, you might go out for a walk and think, well, that was kind of crap. I didn't really get anything from it. But as the weeks pass by, the joy returns. You return to this kind of baseline of happiness and you start feeling the joy and getting the endorphins from just everyday normal things. For me, that's painting, writing, exercise, etc. But at the start, they just felt kind of boring and I didn't really want to do them. So you need to kind of give yourself a bit of time and a bit of space to allow the joy to return to the normal things because alcohol just takes it away. And at the start, that still hangs around for a bit. Did that happen with you? 
It did. And I was kind of say 90 days, give it 90 days, put these new rituals in place, getting up on like the same time every day, um, taking half an hour's exercise, connecting with people that for me, connecting with the right people and laughing and joking and having someone that you can kind of offload on um, 90 days, you could be a completely different person in 90 days, you've just got to try it. And you've got to keep on the same habit. It's difficult to break that habit of reaching for alcohol. But once you've broken free, uh, you learn new behaviours, you learn new associations as well, just keep on trying with it. Yeah, I totally agree. There's a scientific study that said, on average, it takes 66 days to change a habit and for the old habit to sort of fade away into the background. And obviously, for some people, it's longer and closer to 90 days. For others, it happens quicker. But interestingly, I think it all starts with noticing what we're actually feeling. And I often encourage people to download something called the emotion wheel. I think we mentioned it before, which yeah. you can just get on Google. It's just an image and they actually use it for kids, but it allows you to pinpoint exactly what you're feeling. Cause very often people think, well, I'm angry, I'm sad, but actually it's not sad. They might feel lonely or they might feel resentful and really pinning down exactly how you're feeling. And then knowing that you can meet the need generally by looking for the opposite of that. So if you feel lonely, like you just said, the opposite of loneliness is connection. Yeah, it's funny you say about people can't often label their emotions. Now, we always say with like with children, it's really difficult for them to uh, express exactly how they feel. But I think most adults really struggle with that as well. I know for me, like the perfectionism thing really really I've noticed now the more that I work I've done on myself perfectionism has held me back in so many ways if I can't do that well it affects me feeling overwhelmed if I can't do that well I'm not going to do it and um, because I want to be perfect at it if I'm not perfect people will judge me for it and if I'm being judged it means that I'm a failure okay I'm a failure and I go into this whole spin of negative self-talk so being aware that okay I'm a perfectionist but I don't need to be perfect to be worthy of people's love and stepping into that gray area of, you know what done is good enough. Great. I've got that done. I'm no longer overwhelmed. I'm actually no longer angry, but it's working back from, okay, I'm not angry. I'm just scared about failing. Yeah. And I think using the, the two word question, which means with a question mark on the end yeah. is a really good way of, just peeling back the layers of the onion. So for example, uh, I did a group Zoom call yesterday and one of the ladies didn't want to put her camera or microphone on. So she was talking in the comments, which is absolutely fine. But she was she wanted more help. She wanted more support and we needed to hear more from her in order for that to happen. So I kind of took her through this process of, okay, you don't want to come on to Zoom. You don't want to put your camera on. What does that mean? What, which means what? What would happen if you did that? Well, then she said, well, I would be embarrassed if I stumbled over my words, which means that if I did that, people would laugh at me, would think badly of me, which means, and you can just keep peeling it back with which means, you know, and in the end, it basically got down to a sense of her not being good at feeling good enough about yeah. herself and an issue around her self-confidence that obviously needs a bit of work on. But the only way to overcome those sort of fears is by finding some courage and bringing it out into the light, which she did. Uh, she shone a light on it. And actually that alone will have made her feel lighter. And I'm sure she's not alone because that fear of failure 
again which means I'm not good enough which means that I'm yeah I you keep on hearing that over and over again um but the only way to get over this fear of failure is to step into it and I've really noticed my kind of trend towards going okay I'm going to keep on doing things that I'm going to fail at this podcast for instance was so outside my comfort zone but actually I love it I I realized that I do get that dopamine hit from being outside my comfort zone which I would never have done when I was drinking but knowing that okay I might fail the first time but it's fine the only way to ensure real failure is never to try keep on doing something fail at it try again and it's really I've stepped into that and that's been something a real personal growth for me in my sobriety yeah that's brilliant good on you yeah thank you (laughs) I think it can also help to intentionally fail at times I remember when my son was doing his exams and he his GCSE exams and he went to a school that was very academic and they had brainwashed the kids that anything less than an A or A star grade is a failure And it really caused him a lot of stress and worry. And I said to him, maybe you should just intentionally fail one just to see what it feels like. And he actually didn't, but it was just a conversation we had. But I do think sometimes actually feeling what it feels like to fail and even doing it on purpose isn't necessarily a bad thing. What's the worst that's going to happen? If I fail at this, what is the worst that's going to happen? And I know my husband really, uh, as I said, he struggles with mental health and he's got this real fear. It's built and built and built. If I do this simple task, what happens if I fail? And we talk it through. Okay, so at the moment we're installing a kitchen. He's like, I don't want to cut the worktops. What happens if I mess it up? Okay, let's talk it through. What happens if you fail? We buy new worktops Which and means... we make chopping boards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we make chopping boards out of the old ones. It's nothing is that bad. Um, and in fact, my friend who's the mindfulness coach, Helen. Hey, Helen. Um, she sent me a thing about the the NASA astronauts and that they train to fail that is how we succeed it is we we come up with all these scenarios what happens if this fails what happens if this fails um and that is how we find a way to succeed and for me climbing that's how i have really learned to fail if i'm not failing on a route then it means i'm not pushing myself hard enough if i can just do it and i can do it first time what is the point in that i'm not progressing um growth only comes out of failure yeah it's so true and i think no matter what if you can pin down your big emotional thing like for me it's rejection and abandonment and it sounds like for you it's sort of perfectionism perfectionism I can't even say it right (laughs) so there's a failure it sounds like it's perfectionism or fear of failure I think if if anyone can get to that place where they understand their big emotional thing you can then ask yourself a quite a powerful question which is when's the first time you remember feeling that way in your life and you can take yourself back to normally a point in your childhood and you can start to understand it a bit better that actually you know the first time I felt rejected was around my dad abandoning me and realizing that I didn't have a dad like other kids did and in fact when was the first time you maybe felt a fear of failing I don't know that's a really interesting question but you talking about your son with the exams that really stands out to me that you know you're expected to fly by you know really really succeed in all of these things and I was never that interested I was always okay I'm good enough but that never felt enough for everybody else. Whereas for me, I was like, do you know what? I'm quite happy. I don't put all the effort into that, but I get by. Um, but I felt like a failure doing that. Whereas now learning to stay in that gray area and that done is good enough 
it has been really life-changing but I can't that's what, I'm gonna have to think on that one and it's a really interesting way of just exploring these things if they're having a sort of overwhelming effect on our lives just to reflect on it and maybe journal around it and think yeah. actually yeah it might be that your parents at that time were putting pressure on you to do really well and the fear of failure started to bubble up within you and then you've carried it forward into adulthood for example but when you get that understanding of it it rationalizes it and you start thinking well I was a child then I'm an adult now I'm responsible for myself now I don't need to carry that behavior or you can do some therapy around it whatever it needs I do think um so with giving up alcohol you do feel very emotional and it can be as we've said just that the alcohol has been numbing it but there is sometimes people have been self-medicating with alcohol because there's some trauma and there's absolutely no shame around going and seeking therapy and working through it with a qualified therapist yeah i agree or buying my new book how to heal your inner child which is out this week (laughs) i like that little plug um right i've had some questions from people on instagram uh, that they would like answering shall i go through those yeah let's do it okay um so healthy kaya from healthy living oils hey kaya um it says dealing with people who give you shit for not drinking how do you deal with people simon do you come across people now that give you shit or is that long gone it's pretty much long gone and i actually think a lot of it was around me putting boundaries in place, not putting myself in situations where I would be engaging with those people, people who get me. I find that I'm not really drawn to sort of superficial type social events any longer. And I actually, I went to the work Christmas party on Saturday night and I really wasn't looking forward to it. And I debated not going and ended up having the most amazing conversation with somebody who's done a lot of work. She's training as a counsellor. And we were just engrossed in conversation for about two hours. And I was concerned there might be people there who perhaps ridiculed me or made a snide comment about my choice not to drink. But it didn't happen. But I think at the beginning, it's about really believing in what you do and standing by it and maybe feeling proud to be a little bit different, a little bit rebellious. I've always had a rebellious streak in me. So it was very easy to become a sober rebel. And I've got a hoodie. You can get hoodies on my website, actually. There's another plug. (laughs) But I've got a hoodie with sober rebel on it because that's how it feels. It does. Absolutely. And I think there's just a level, isn't there? There's people who are interested and you can talk about it. And uh, and then there's people who give you shit and you can just close the conversation down. Like, I'm not discussing this. This is my choice. You do you. I do me. There's no judgment coming from me. So let's just change the subject and talk about something else. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember Kate from Love Sober shared something with me around a traffic light system where if if you give people a red traffic light, you really, yeah, you don't share much with them. You change the subject. If they've got an amber traffic light, obviously you assign your own traffic light based on your experience of the person. Amber traffic light, you might share a little bit with them and a green traffic light, you're good to go. You can probably tell them your most intimate secrets. Yeah, it is. You definitely get an energy from people. You can read what they, how they're going to be with you. And most people are just interested though, aren't they? I think it it makes them kind of question. So many people say, well, why are you not drinking? Oh, I really should think about my drinking. Yeah, exactly. And And often it's a projection, a projection of their own concerns about their own behaviour. So they, they project onto someone else. Yeah. Um, Right. 
Paul Jeansprat, I think it's uh, said, does it ever get easier? Yes, it gets easier. It gets easier. Not only does it get easier, it just gets better. You start like you reap all the benefits of sobriety. It feels hard until it's just the easiest thing in the world. I don't know about you, Simon, but that's the way I felt. It was that, oh, God, this is so difficult. I'm never going to be able to give up drinking. So then all of a sudden my mindset changed. Why would I ever want to drink poison again? Why would I ever want to go back to being that person that I was again? I feel so good in myself now. Why would I ever want to undo that? Yeah, and there's no doubt it's hard at the beginning. And especially when your sleep is disrupted and you still got those same neural pathways trying to call you back to that old unhelpful behavior. But after a few weeks, it really does. You start to feel calmer, more mentally resilient, kind of grounded and at peace in your life. And just as the weeks go by, it definitely gets easier and easier. And both of us are privileged enough to work with people where we watch them move from day one through to day 100. And you see the transformation. They become passionate about it. They start helping other people on their journey. Yet at the beginning, the thought of even a day without drinking seemed yeah. too much. And it's incredible. It is. And seeing people I'm sure you know who I'm talking about the people in our group uh, coaching sessions who are just so in love with their sobriety and it can be after so many struggles but they're now just absolutely flying high with it Um, and they're so excited to get through all these sober firsts and to sit back and again be curious looking at other people and kind of really delving into why they were drinking but they're so excited by their sobriety it really is lovely to see. It's it's funny because I had I had two emails last week from people who wanted to cancel their membership to my program. And obviously that makes me sad when people want to do that. And both of them were because they were now over a year sober and they just weren't using the program anymore. Yeah, that is amazing. That's a valid reason. I'll take that one. Oh, are you on that subject? I had a message from somebody on Instagram. It really, really, it tickled me, but I, I, it was almost my favorite message that I've got. She said that in the beginning, I irritated her. She was like, I found your posts really irritating, but I'm now, I think, 30 days, 30, 40 days sober. And just I realized I read one of your posts and it said, if you don't something along the, you know, the lines of you need to take responsibility, if you carry on doing the same thing, the same shit's going to happen. And she was like, now I can just really resonate. I think it was just that, again, kind of projecting oh, standing back, having uh, making her feel something about the posts. But yeah, you I love that honesty. Yeah, you were acting like a mirror right into yeah. her. So she yeah. was she was seeing something in you that was making her feel extremely uncomfortable. And yeah. wow, yeah, and, you've inspired And now her. she's yeah, now she's stepped into it and loving it. I love it. Um shortly 1969. Um, are you learning more easily than before as alcohol tends to affect brain's learning process? I I definitely have so much more clarity and focus and motivation to step into my own I think with um, my learning my learning uh, yeah my focus of what I want out of life I don't know about you Simon that's interesting yeah I think I I definitely learn a lot more around the the topics I'm super interested in which is therapy related and counseling and all, all those sort of things how the brain works but I, I, de- I also, I don't know if it's just my age, but my ability to retain information is not quite as good as it used to be. I don't know if that's from all the drinking or not, but I think if we're passionate about something, then it's easy to learn it. It is. My, uh, one thing that definitely hasn't improved for me is my memory. <laughs> I yeah. want to say that, like, I, my, yeah, sobriety has not improved my memory whatsoever. 
Um, sober in colour. What do you do when a venue does not serve adult alcohol-free alternatives? Go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go somewhere else. Ask them, can you take your own? But, I mean, I don't know where you are, sober in colour. If you're in the UK, most places are serving um, alcohol-free alternatives. Yeah. I went I went to New Zealand just before the um, COVID. I got stuck over there. Um, just as the world shut down in 2020 and my brother was like yeah everywhere sells alcohol-free beer and one place within the two weeks sold alcohol-free beer otherwise it was bitter lemons and soda the whole way but I had just as good a time I was in New Zealand with my brother absolutely loving life. I also think as well if if you were a vegan and you went to a restaurant for example and they didn't serve vegan food you'd probably tell them what you thought of them and I think as a community as a a movement a global movement of sober warriors it's our job to tell these venues that it's not good enough that you're not serving alcohol-free drinks and to sort their bloody menu out well and it's yeah it's supply and demand isn't it like if you demand it then they will start um you you ask for it and they'll start supplying it um actually it's not on here but somebody did ask me what are our favorite alcohol-free drinks what about you i really enjoy seed lip but it's expensive so seed lip with tonic is a, a good one and most of those sort of botanical style drinks i'm a big fan of so I wouldn't class them as alcohol-free drinks because they're not trying to be a beer or trying to be a wine. They've just got yeah. a unique flavour all of their own. Um, I am partial to the Gordon's alcohol-free gin, though, which is a zero-alcohol gin I with tonic. Yeah, we haven't got that over here. Really refreshing. Oh, I'll save one for when you come over for the life of absolutely. Here, mind you, in France, we have animated. Considering that wine is their heritage, you know, it is who they identify as. Um, we have an amazing alcohol-free range and the alcohol-free martini with tonic I really like um, and also I mean that's something like 10 euros a bottle whereas there's one that's called Palermo and that's about two euros a bottle and that is really nice as well and they do these little bitters I'm really anything with tonic in a tall glass and a slice of cucumber or lemon I love yeah totally and I think again this I talk about making sobriety your new hobby. And for me, a big part of it was trying all these new drinks and exploring them with a real passion. I mean, just to rattle off a few, Kaleno, C-A-L-E-N-O is a really nice one. I love that. We used to be able to get that here and now we can't. Brexit, thank you very much. Yeah, me too. Um, There's a couple of new ones called... Pentire. Yeah, Clean Gin, I think, is another one. Yeah. My favourite of all, I think, is called Barago, B-O-R-R-A-G-O. And it tastes of Palmer violets in a kind of botanical drink. Uh, It's really good with tonic. I think we've got some of that at the live event, actually, or they're doing something for us. But, yeah, there's a whole whole bunch of them which are great. There is, yeah. Pentire is my new favourite at the moment, again, with tonic. Really, really lovely. Um, So, yeah, there's a massive range out there. I don't like alcohol-free wines but it I say that I haven't actually tried it now wine used to be my go-to and I bought a bottle of alcohol-free wine and it has sat there for about 18 months because I realized that I didn't ever actually like the taste of wine it was just a habit that I got into so I was thinking if I didn't like it with alcohol I'm not going to like it alcohol-free why would I drink that totally and the red what the red alcohol-free wines tend to be disgusting yeah white sounds so bad um right last question is (laughs) And so Anastasia says, 
I don't mind, whatever. I love you, love the podcast, you both rock. Um, like to hear some success stories and how do you deal when you feel low, which we've kind of gone through today. But um, yeah, what's your go-to when you feel low, Simon? I think it is all about just energetically matching the way I'm feeling. So previously, I didn't even know what I was feeling, how I was feeling. So I would feel low and I didn't really know what was going on. So I'd go and try and meditate when actually I felt angry, for example. So meditation, exercise, painting, they're all really good ones. Walking in nature, I love doing, I do that every day. But if I'm feeling a particularly negative feeling, I try and energetically match it. So if it's anger, then going for a run or doing something high energy is a great way to match it. If I'm feeling sad, then perhaps meditating or breathing or some mindfulness matches it energetically. So that has really, really helped me to sort of almost custom choose the remedy for a low feeling. Yeah, and my go-to, do you know what? I allow space for it now, which I never did before. If I feel low and I need to cry, I used to be like, I'm a strong woman. I don't need to cry. I don't need to feel emotions. Whereas now if I need to cry, I sit and have a cry. I've like allow some space. I just set myself a bit of a time limit. Okay, I can be down and I can feel down for this hour, but then I need to sort my shit out and I need to go and do things that are going to make me feel happier. And that's normally connection, exercise, yeah, yoga, um, going for a run on the treadmill I love or out in nature. Yeah, totally. And often exercise, you can feel like, you go into it feeling low and then after you've done it it feels like it's been washed off of you the negativity yeah 100 percent. and just finding people with good energy yeah who are going to lift you up yeah it's contagious some awesome questions there if you've got any questions you'd like to ask just send either of us a message on instagram or through the website and we'll absolutely answer them on the podcast so until next time we will see you again very soon thanks simon